we now have the knowledge to know that there are more stories out there. There are more experiences out there that we can showcase. And this is going to enrich our art form. It's not checking boxes so you can say you did your due diligence of DEI. What it's doing is it's enriching your artistic output. And like you're actually telling more authentic, more beautiful and more like inclusive stories that more people are gonna to relate to, feel seen, feel heard and empowered, inspired. Welcome to the Artist Becoming Podcast. Hey, Jess. Hey, Shelby, a five, six, seven, eight. Join us in weekly conversations with performing artists across stages, studios, rinks, fields, and screens. Every conversation, a chance to dive deep into the story of their becoming. All right, Shelby, let's get on into it. This episode's conversation features our guest, Connor Holloway, a dancer with American Ballet Theater, producer of All Arts TV, co-creator of the Ballerina Book Club, and a true artist becoming. Here we go. Connor Holloway, welcome to Artist Becoming. We are so excited to have you here today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. You've had and held such an inspiring career and our our careers have kind of interlapped in really cool ways, both through our connections in Royal Danish Ballet in Denmark and Boston Ballet. You are a corps de ballet member with American Ballet Theater, no big deal. And um, you're continuing to innovate and recreate what that means within that company, which is something we are so excited to to ask you about. Um, But we thought that just to kind of ground the conversation of your becoming, do you want to take us on back to, you know, some version of your beginning and a little bit of the winding road that led you to where you are now? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I'm from Louisville, Kentucky originally. Um, I grew up there for like the first 16 years of my life. Um, I trained briefly with the Louisville Ballet School. That was really where I had my entry with ballet. I was there, I started actually at the, like the middle of my eighth grade year. So it's like 13 turning 14. Um, and I joined the school because in the winter of that year, I had done the Nutcracker. So I was like a total musical theater kid, loved theater. I loved dance because it was what I had to do to be a triple threat, which was like the goal for all the kids, all the musical theater kids. Um, So I took like private tap classes and I joined sort of a jazz competition studio and like took some jazz classes, took some theater dance, Um, but honestly was like not very good at it. And they put me with my age group, but at that time I was like 12 and my age group was already like doing fouettes and like, and what do we call them? Straight leg turns, meaning like all cone turns and things like that. And I just was not there yet. So it was like kind of a struggle for me. And honestly, like, I don't even think I really enjoyed it. I was like, I have to do this in order to be what I want to be. But I'm like so behind that it's like, I don't even, I can't even enjoy this sort of experience. So I did the Nutcracker mainly because I wanted to perform at like the big theater in Louisville, which was like the Opera House, which is the Whitney, um, the Whitney Hall at the Louisville the Kentucky Center for the Arts. And so I auditioned for the Nutcracker. All you had to do was skip on the music. And I was like, I can do that. <laughs> and like the real the real curveball was if you could skip backwards, which I also could do. So <laughs> I got into the Nutcracker and I was cast as a party child. And then actually a couple weeks into the rehearsal process, they cast the, the young Nutcracker Prince. And I, I got that role too, my first year. So I, 
I feel like I got these like two like badges of honor. I like got in because I could skip on the music. And then I also got sort of this like special feature of getting to do the Nutcracker Prince. So I think that sort of like validated that I was like, oh, I want to do ballet. Like I feel like confident. And it was my first time ever like seeing dance as a profession and being surrounded by professional dancers. And I mean, there was just so much mystique and allure there with, with the dancers and, and just seeing these people that were so physical. Um, as an art form was like musical theater I saw it a bit but I was surrounded by much more like adults and these people looked closer to me because they're like young 20s late teens and I was like 12 13 um, so I just sort of like committed from there and I was there for two years and then I heard of Boston Ballet's like year-round program their pre-professional program so I went to their summer program did sort of the typical ballet track went to Boston Ballet School was there for three years went to ABT summer intensive got accepted into the school joined the JKO school, was there for one semester and then got promoted into studio company, did one semester of studio company like like January to July and then got promoted to apprentice and for the fall. And then I've just sort of been at ABT ever since. So, I mean, that was like seven years ago now, 20, 2013, 2014. Seven yeah. years in the company, that's amazing. It's crazy. I mean, this whole last year and a half, like they do and don't count. Like it's, I'm, I'm curious if we'll all come back with like more senior contracts or if we'll sort of like pick up where we left off. But yeah, but technically it's been seven years. And in many ways, this last year, I feel like I've worked, like worked more for ABT than like all of my other years combined, just because I've been doing so much like on the admin side. And that's, so that's something we're super curious to know is what, what sparks like within every artist is there is that moment where it's kind of like oh what's this I guess I'll give it a try and then some like crazy reaction where it's just like I'm all in mm -hmm. you know and um and then from there hearing people's path where it's just you go from this kind of curiosity of something to this all in and you just then end up on this track that's so committed and in ways myopic and focused and um it's amazing to hear everyone's kind of winding road, but all on their own track, you know? Yeah, it was interesting too, because when I joined the ballet world, I had come from this musical theater world that was very collaborative and sort of taught me to be more outspoken about my choices. And I'd be like, I want to do this. And I think my character would like that. And like, that is not ballet. Like I was in a room with all of these students that were so obedient and quiet and, um, I mean, I don't want to say submissive, but like kind of submissive to whatever they were told to do. It's like, you tell me to do it, I will do it. And I came in and we had like Val Canaparoli, who I didn't know who he was, but he's a big name choreographer. He's doing this new production of The Nutcracker. And I was like, I think Fritz would do this. And I think Fritz would do that. And maybe Fritz could do this. And like, I had this whole like backstory for Fritz. <laughs> and they were all kind of like... <laughs> shocked that this like never had so much fun <laughs> no exactly and I think they really liked it but I didn't I was so oblivious at the time that it wasn't necessarily like ballet etiquette to be yeah. so vocal and um, collaborative but I think that that's sort of what helped me get excited about it and feel um, inspired to want to have that career because I came in with this sort of approach of like oh this is like musical theater but like they're really I don't know but it's more dance it's more whatever so what I'm curious of with that kind of um, theme is, do you notice that still today? Are you a more outspoken <clears throat> member of the tribe, so to speak? Um, yeah. Because I, I really relate to that in terms of I started musical theater and then some 
I don't even remember the moment. It might've been a teacher that just kind of tipped me over to go the ballet direction. And I think initially that spark I had or that voice that I had or a certain theatrical presence was really um, empowering. And then I definitely kind of tucked that under for a while. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm curious if that's something you've felt you've maintained, if you've maybe swung on the pendulum there a bit. Um, yeah, I've definitely swung on the pendulum. I will say, I think growing up <laughs> in musical theater and being around a lot of adults, I, from a very young age, was comfortable with talking to adults. So that's always been something that I think has really helped my progress is I will try and befriend my teachers, my directors, and not in like a, I mean, I don't view it as like a kiss ass kind of way, but I genuinely was just like, here I am, here's where I'm from. I'm really bad at this. What should I do to get better at it? Like I was very communicative with my leaders from Louisville Ballet to Boston Ballet to JKO School. Like, I, I mean, I remember when I auditioned, I auditioned for studio company like three times and they were always like, you are not good enough to get into the studio company. And like, even at the summer program, I would like go up to Franco DeVito and I was like, I want to be in studio company. Like, I want to do this. He'd be like, you are not strong enough. But I didn't, it hurt my ego because I knew that, but I also was still very like, well, what can I do? And how could I be better? And I would really listen and I wanted them to feel comfortable talking to me and being like, this is why you're not like strong enough, or this is why we need you to be more that. And I think that that's actually been a huge key to my success, whatever that means as a dancer. It, in my ability to be an ABT, I feel like I really attribute to that ability to communicate with leadership. And even though it's, it's, I'm not saying it's not hurtful, like it still like stings when they tell you that you're like weak or behind, or you're not at the same level as your class. But I think that that's something that's helped me along. With the pendulum thing, I will say like being in, I've always felt like I'm in a group of dancers that are better than me, always. I've always felt like one of the weakest dancers in the room. And in that sense, like that does make you feel really small and get really inside yourself and inside your head. And you, I mean, it, that quote is so true about like death being, what is it, or it's not death. It's comparison is like the death of liberation or the of joy or whatever it is, but all of the things. <laughs> comparison yeah. is the death of anything good. Um, and so I will say like, I definitely had a lot of moments in my training years where I felt really um, scared and quiet and isolated because I was just so like, how am I ever gonna catch up sort of thing. Yeah. That is so, I just want to say that that is so remarkable and relevant how you just spoke to communication because Shelby and I have spoken about that. And I think what's so hard to pinpoint is what you just said, which was that your intention, you always have an intention. When you go to communicate, you want to bring forward an intention. And for you, it was always about, this is my desire. This is what I want. And I'm prepared to come in here and communicate that openly with you and receive whatever that might be that you that you have to say back, whatever critique or whatever criticism, but I'm open enough to at least hearing it rather than being afraid of even walking through the door. Yeah. And that you're coming at it from an angle of it's, it's not about playing in game or networking. It's genuinely like, I know that if I ask these questions and receive these answers, I'm setting myself up for at least a step in some direction forward. And that sometimes means accepting the no, yeah. you know? So I, I thank you for sharing that. I think that's yeah. I see it as just such a productive approach to growth, <laughs> like such an efficient way forward. And I, 
honor you for that. And I just hope that the people, I hope that the people at large hear this and try it on if it's not in your communication cadence style, because I'm thinking back of like the conversations I had, whether it was like my teachers at SAB or Royal Danish Ballet Director or Boston Ballet Director, the conversations that I had that really dictated the timing and direction of my career were because I mustered up the courage to have, to, to bring my wants and desires forward. And guess what? All three of those times, SAB, Royal Danish Boston, I did not hear what I wanted to hear, but I heard what I needed to hear to be productive with my growth. Mm -hmm. And that's so clear now in retrospect at the time, I'm like, oh, my heart is broken. However, what's, what's ours shall not pass us by. And in a weird roundabout ways, all of the things that I, I wanted, I received in, in a different kind of a way, but probably wouldn't have if, if I hadn't come forward. And it sounds like that forwardness, um, and just belief in your self-worth and in your self-potential, you know, we're not all, we're not out here trying to be like, yeah, I'm the best in the room. You need to promote me or you need to hire me. But it's like, I have a thirst and here I am with it. And what can I do with it to like serve you the vision of your company? It's amazing, Connor. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I will say there was this like thing that like floated around ABT and I don't know if any of our directors ever said this, but it was like, when you first join the company, no news is good news. So if they're not giving you feedback, if they're not telling you anything, great, you're doing a good job. We'll let you know if you're not doing a good job. Mm. That like wasn't really enough for me because it's like, like, well, I can't just sit here and wait for years and years and years. And then finally you're going to be like, oh yeah, we actually don't want you anymore. And it's like, so what was I doing for five years? Like, just like, I wasn't hearing anything. So I thought I was doing a good job. So I think to me, sometimes it was even just forming a personal connection with the people in the front of the room. So they felt comfortable because I've been like weirdly empathic my whole life. And I've always sort of like looked at leadership and seen that to them, they're also scared of the dancers because there's so many of us in this room. And like, even though they are in the position of power, like I can see that most of them were dancers at some point in their life. And like, they were also in our shoes and whether they're acquainted with that, like memory of what that felt like or not, who knows, but like, they are just the same as us. So I would always just try and like spark some sort of, even with you, when I went to Royal Danish, I think I like came up to you and I was like, I'm American, you're American. Like, let's talk about it. Yeah, it just is like finding some sort of common ground. So like we could remove the barrier of like, I need to uphold my leadership, like tight, whatever. And I need to like, I want to shed this, like, I'm scared of you and I'm obedient. And like, I'll do whatever you need me to do to be attractive to your whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. This is major. No, this is absolutely major (laughs) because we are having conversations right now with leadership of schools and institutions and companies across the country. And what's happening when we get into these conversations and we're like, we want to uplift the students. This is the program, you know, everyone agrees they need support. And then the leadership says to us, so by the way, like our faculty are struggling just as much. And then there's this almost thing that happens where it's like, whoa, (laughs) so everyone's struggling in their own way, but within the same system. And I never actually really looked at it at the lang- at the angle from what you just spoke, which is that there does have to be an equality of power within what our roles are on a human level in order to create a system where everyone's upholding certain values and doing their roles in their most um, forthcoming way in terms of like being the teacher, guiding the room, 
or making the hard decisions and then being someone that is a dancer who's kind of following that lead but showing up for it yeah and it just reminds me of conversations I've had recently with yoga teachers or meditation teachers who who were speaking about this kind of guru concept or like when you have a teacher and you're looking up to them and how at the same time, like, how can we both be a teacher? You know, that, that mm-hmm. kind of concept. And I think that that's what we're touching on here is that of course there's going to be a front of the room person and a dancer and a court of ballet that's there to be instructed. But if we can't even on a human level engage, like you and I are equal human beings. And now we're going to like, do the best that that we can in the roles that we have in this institution, then we're never going to be able to kind of level that playing field from a system, systematic level. And I never really looked at it that way. I mean, we're all trying to achieve the same goal, which like ultimately is like, we want to put out a really beautiful artistic product. And to me, like the best way to accomplish that is to work together on something. So like, I even say to like our ballet staff, like, what can we do to make you feel supported? Because there's so many egos in a room that's like, it's like, we're never getting anything done because we can't get out of the way of the egos. Like, well, last time we did it, it was this. Well, we do it like this. Well, actually, when I did it, when I was in the company, it's like, who cares? Like, we all want to put the best product out. Let's just figure out what that is yep. and like do it as opposed to like trying to maintain your, your authority or maintain your seniority or whatever it is. Um, it's like, let's just like come together <laughs> and hold hands and like put something great out there. Um, oh, yeah. Imagine the, the efficiency of rehearsals. If we could all kind of get on board with, with like a healthy communicative cadence, it's smashing. <laughs> but people are like bringing in like years and years and years of like feeling either disrespected, unheard, like silenced, whatever it is. So I think people hold on to that and like, what I really want to establish with ABT moving forward, and I think we're working on it, is this just sort of mutual respect for everyone's position. Like, yeah. you are here trying to set this ballet. I can't imagine what it's like for you to run a room of 50 court of ballet dancers. And we are also just trying to find our way and like make our mark and do whatever. But like, we're going to do that together. And then I think when everybody feels seen and heard and respected, then like the things like I didn't get cast in the role that I want maybe it doesn't sting so badly because you know, at least the people at the front of the room still see you, respect you. They're not forgetting about you because I don't know. I mean, I'm not the kind of person who lives in like delusion. So I'm aware that we're a company of like whatever, 95 people. And there's only like three soloist roles in a production. And like, I know that not everyone is going to get the role and, and that's okay with, with me, but it's more like, I just need to know on a daily basis that I feel like seen, heard, respected, appreciated, valued for the time that I'm in that room. Um, and then I can get over the ego of like, why am I not the lead? And the, like, that's a whole, that's a personal thing. But like the work stuff yeah. is like, I just, everyone needs to be like seen as a person. <laughs> it's hard because we all are starring in our own movie. <laughs> Wait, this was actually the part where the romantic music kicked in and then I get cast in the role. Like I thought that's this part of the movie. Yeah. And that's what's hard. That's the time. Yeah. Hi, Bang. I just, I feel like we're all just right here. And there's, there's something that I think is really unique about having you here at Artists Becoming because we've had people at different 
you know, parts of their careers. We've, we've spoken recently to an artistic director that Kathleen Brink Combs, you know, um, who's a principal with, with Boston Ballet and stars on Broadway. And, you know, Jess and I's experience of being dancers was in the court of ballet. And as I have left the dance world and experimented with work outside of dance, um, I realized that so much of the richness that I can actually bring to any company beyond dance is because of the time that I spent in a corps de ballet. And it's not to say that if I achieved that principal status that I kind of always hoped that I would get to, that I, I wouldn't be able to show up with different, you know, qualities and things to offer. But I think that there's just a certain kind of bonding and thirst and humility and shared passion and shared goal and shared breath that just does not manifest itself anywhere else, like in the, in the world, maybe like sports teams, you know, perhaps, but I would love for you to chat with us a bit about how you've maintained your own versions of, of contentment, we'll say, and maybe seasons of happiness, um, throughout your tenure as a core member. And, um, and maybe perhaps that has a lot to do with, uh, the roles that you have taken, um, taken on outside your dance roles at ABT. So chat with us a bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting because my, like I said, my whole like training career, I always felt behind. So even like when I got into ABT, it was like a total shock to me. I mean, I really wanted it and I could tell that I was like doing all the right things to set myself up for that. But even when I was like invited to join the company, it's still like, it was so exciting, but it was also so stressful for me to be in an environment where everyone was so talented because I'm just by nature, like I want everyone to approve of me. I'm a total people pleaser. And so being in a room with all of these people, like I wasn't even so much worried about the ballet staff. Like, of course I was like, I hope Kevin thinks I'm great. But in my mind, I was like, they were the ones that brought me here. Now I need the dancers to like think that I'm worthy of being here. And like, there was just superstar. I mean, ABT is full of superstars. So it was just, and like technical superstars. So it was like, in some ways they're amazing on stage, but like class is even more terrifying because it's like, then you see everybody like whipping out everything. And so it was honestly like the first two years were horribly anxiety writing for me. And like my way of dealing with anxiety is like being social and like forming my like allyships and partnerships with like other people. And it was kind of unique when I came to ABT because it was like a major turn of the tide where like principals and core members and apprentices were all sort of like mingling and having like friendships and spending time together. And I, I feel like, I mean, you can't really attribute that to one person, but I do feel like there were some major like key players in that. And I think like James had just be like joined ABT a few years ago and he's someone who's very social and I don't see him as someone who really like upholds a hierarchical system yeah. of like seniority gets like everything. And, and then like I was an apprentice and I befriended like three principals and like my best friends were like Devin and he and like and all of these like more senior dancers and April John Drusso was one of my first friends and she was very senior core and like and Skylar became one of my very close friends so it was like it was I think strange for some people to see this weird like connection but those are the people that really made me feel safe and comfortable because they also weren't my competition they weren't like looking at me in a way of like you're coming for my role so I think like that was something that I had to do to secure myself and make myself feel like, okay. And then like being in the core was something that like in many ways, it actually 
so this is something that I didn't fully realize, but like <laughs> the female corps de ballet does a lot. Like you dance a lot and that's a whole other like can of worms when it comes to like the stress and pressure of being a female corps de ballet member because it's like you and 23 other people or 31 other people. And if you're out of line, it's very noticeable. And there's so many things that like you have to pick up on and learn and find your way to fit in. Um, and like when you're a male bodied corps de ballet person, like it's just not, the roles are limited. So like my whole first year, I like barely danced. Like I probably did like 10 shows. So it actually the performance part wasn't that stressful for me. Cause I was just like, oh, this is great. Like class is stressful. Performance is fun. Like I'm doing like maybe one show a week. And like at that time, like doing things like Giselle Peasants was like a senior core thing. Cause there were only like maybe, I think it's like six, six peasant men um and like that was for the senior court guys so like I didn't do that like maybe I did court which you like walk on with like a beard on and then you like leave or like stand there like I was just doing things like mazurka and and those are things that I felt really confident in what took time is because then like as the years go by and ABT does a lot of the same rep year after year it's like, okay, I'm not, if I'm not growing and getting new opportunities, am I just going to sit here and do the same five, six, seven roles like year after year after year till I'm in my late thirties and then I'll just leave. And like, that'll be that. Like, so what I'd sort of come to realize is as comfortable as I was in the core, I had to realize like, cause I think most of us feel that pressure of success and so many people, like, I don't know that people realize this, but it's like when you're an individual person and you go back to your hometown or you go to your home studio or whatever, they're like, so when are you getting promoted? Like, that's always the question. My parents would always be like, do you think you'll be soloist next year? And it makes you feel mm-hmm. poorly about your career. And you're like, I'm in a company. That's a huge success as it is. And like, I get to dance every day and I'm getting paid to dance every day. And maybe I feel okay with it, but now I feel this pressure that like, if I'm not being promoted to soloist and or principal or getting all of these roles that everyone's talking about, then now all of a sudden my career is like, wash like it's not it's not valuable anymore so I sort of had all of this sort of reassessment of like well what is success and for me success is like literally just like like ultimately like what are we all working towards we want to be happy right and we're assuming that like being a principal is a happier person than like being a court of ballet person like I actually don't think so and I was realizing my own abilities like if I were a principal or a soloist I would be stressed all the time like watching how little rehearsal they get to do such exposing like works like to have to do to me like to have to do pas de trois without a stage rehearsal on the met stage is like a nightmare like that is like what my nightmares look like is someone being you're doing pas de trois like you don't get a rehearsal get out there and do it like that to me and to some people and this is what i realized to some people that's a dream they're like i just want to rip off my core costume and do it without a rehearsal and i'm ready and to me sweating over here thinking about pas de trois <laughs> like for me that was not my dream like I just it was stressful to me and it, it's 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 hard enough as it is like when you're rehearsed but like the nature of a lot of ballet companies and at least specifically ABT which I realized was like the company I wanted to be in I love the tours I love being in New York I love the Met I love all of these things but I was just like I don't know that my aspiration is to be in that position where I'm getting minimal rehearsal maybe I've touched my partner twice And like, and on top of it, when you're a soloist, like all you really rehearse is your soloist stuff. So maybe you're only rehearsing an hour a day. So five or six hours a week. And it's like, I wouldn't be in the shape that I needed. And I'm looking at all these soloists and they're paying for coaches and they're working with their old teachers. And like they, you have to be so on top of yourself. 
And so that was something that I was like, that's actually not what I want. That's stressful. I like being in the core. I want to continue to progress for myself and also prove that maybe when our fall season comes around that I could do one of these like Twyla Tharp or Paul Taylor, or all these other roles that exist. But like for me, the idea of being a soloist is actually not what I want, which was like a huge relief because I was like, now that I, that's like off my chest, like I can just enjoy every day and work on my technique. And also I think what you were sort of speaking about too, Shelby, is like acknowledging in the world that we live in today where everything is instantaneous gratification, ballet is the only thing that I feel like is a commitment to like the micro progress. It's like dance every day is like you're coming in and you're doing the same thing you did the day before and maybe it feels worse. And you're like, how is this getting worse? Like, this is all I'm doing. Like, how do tondus feel worse? How are my pirouettes worse? Like, all I've been doing is ballet every day. But like, that's sort of like the, the torturous but also like beautiful side of it is that we're committed to something so fully that even when it's not serving us physically, emotionally, mentally, we return to it to like sort of ground ourselves. And to me, that's something that's really beautiful because it doesn't exist in any other thing. It's so personal, it's so intimate. It feels, I mean, it feels like a religious practice to me in a way, because it's like very meditative. We're all quiet, there's music, we're all doing the same thing together, but we're all having a very individual experience like in our bodies. And so that was sort of what I like, grasped onto is like this is the joy this is the privilege this is the honor of getting to be a dancer and that is success to me not my casting because that's out of my control like what's in my control is this what's out of my control is what everybody else is doing yeah. so like that's the success and like actually being happy and like at peace with that is the success the success is not the like ah! <laughs> <laughs> I literally for the first time in five years is like, I'm going to be a ballerina again. (laughs) You said religious meditative music tondu. And I was like, I need it. So wow. Beautifully put. Ooh, ooh, tingles up the spine. (laughs) So I didn't get to it and we can, we don't have to, but like then social media had its, whole other play with it because like from the moment I joined the company like being shocked by everyone's talent and like being shocked that I was in the room I had two like missions I was like I need to document this now because this is amazing and like if I don't last in this company like I want to remember everyone's dancing because I just remember there were like so many dancers I'd never heard of never seen in my life and they're like just as good as the people in the front and I was just like holy shit um so I was like have to document this and then I was like, and why does nobody know these people? Like, I wanna, I wanna promote them. So like on my own personal account, I would be like, look at this amazing dancer doing this amazing thing. And then ABT had just sort of, the dancers had started their own account because our management was like, why would we get an, what's an Instagram? Like, <laughs> so the dancers were like, well, can we please start an Instagram? And they were like, no, you can't. And then I wasn't a part of those conversations, but basically it was like, you can start it, but it has to be known that it's not official statements of the company. Yeah. So the answer started their own account. It was kind of a hot mess. Like, I think everyone had the password. They were like uploading photos <laughs> of like, guess whose baby photo this is. And it was just like a very different time of social media. Like that sounds crazy now, but I mean, we had like a couple hundred followers and like nobody really cared and it was just for fun. But then like we started gaining traction because of the name, like people know ABC. If you're a young student and you get an Instagram account, you're probably typing like American Ballet Theater, New York City Ballet, like Royal Ballet. Like that's just what you do. Like that's what I did when I started ballet. So 
it we formed like a little group of dancers that were like the Instagram committee and they would like come up with ideas and like there was like one person that would get photos and one person that would write captions and and that lasted like uh six months or so until it was a lot of principles I wasn't on that committee because I didn't want to be on that committee I was like asked and I was like no I am like a first year core member I've never spoken to Jillian Murphy and like I don't know that I want to be advising her grammar and like copy and things like that so <laughs> But I kept getting asked by one of the committee members. They're like, well, can you look at this? And can we use your photo instead? And can we do, and I, so eventually I just got like pulled into it. And then I am a controlling person. So I'd be like, we should actually write this and we should invent this hashtag. <laughs> this is the way that we should edit it because the contrast is way too low. Like I would just like have all these opinions. And then eventually they were just like, can you just do it? And I was like, yeah, I'm in the core. I have like eight shows a year. So like, I'm good. (laughs) You're like, let me check my calendar. (laughs) I was like, I'm so available. So I, um, I just started doing the Instagram and it was like 2014. It was like my first year in the company, like my first real Met season as a core member. And I, um, yeah, I just started doing the Instagram, like, everything and at that time again it was just like fun and like oh I just saw this thing I took a picture and now I post it there was no like planning there was no strategy there was no like whatever um so yeah and then I've done it ever since and then in 2018 I like joined the marketing team sort of like freelance style so they would hire me season by season and then 2019 I got like a formal part-time contract and then 2020 I got a full-time contract and so that's on their on ABT's marketing team yeah so I have like two full-time contracts with ABT, but like as a dancer, we're like not doing anything. So <laughs> That's okay. Yeah. I mean, that's such yeah. a productive way through this season. I mean, uh- a quick pause from the episode to tell you about a couple of cool things happening over at Artists Becoming, like one-on-one coaching. Work with us one-on-one for personalized mentorship and guidance on your path as an artist becoming. Proactive coaching to support your mental and emotional well-being. You can schedule a free consult call with us over on our website. And while you're there, check out our on-demand subscription-based membership that gives you all access to our full offerings like visual meditations, yummy yoga flows, prompts, the works basically. And the best thing about it. It's only $20 a month, so it's less than a latte a week. Okay, (laughs) y'all? It's easy peasy. So go ahead, check out the website, www.artistbecoming.com. Click that enroll button, learn more about us, and um, back to the episode. What's the handle of the one run by dancers? No, it's ABT official. Oh, you're, okay, (laughs) casual. Yeah, that's the account. Check for the verified. Yeah, he got the blue check. That is so incredible to hear. Mm-hmm. Just taking it back, even to you having the acknowledgement of contentment within. Yeah. You know what, mom and dad, please don't. You know the promotion thing. That whole we've all been through that. Um, yeah. Unfortunately for me, I truly thought I was Maria Kachikova in the making, <laughs> and <laughs> jokes on me. <laughs> I did not have that kind of contentment. Like I was like. I wanted to be the star for sure, but acknowledging that understanding, because what it, what is it? It is an acknowledgement of is your own power. Like, how can I show up to work every day, feeling empowered, lit up, appreciating the things that I can, um, striving towards actual progress that's attainable rather than some illustrious kind of in the distance thing that's never actually going to happen that causes me anxiety, you know, like taking true stock of your body and your intentions. And then 
by doing that, becoming so open to the world around you that you just like magnetically attracted in these incredible opportunities through your inherent gifts. Like yeah. that's what we're just, it's so inspiring. Um, so thank you. And I don't know, Shelby, did you have a follow-up question on that? Because I'm looking at the time and I know that we also want to acknowledge it's pride month and it would just like not be the conversation if we didn't talk about your experience with that and um, with your identity and, being a part of this industry, how all of those elements tie in as a human being and as a dancer, we would love to hear from you. Yeah. I was just going to say too, having the power of being the intention behind the lens that is ABT official Instagram is a huge, huge responsibility because it's not just here's so-and-so's triple fuetes. It is like you're, you're literally poaching stars out of the core. (laughs) You are giving voices to identities that are contrary to the social conditioned identity of a ballet dancer, male or female identifying. And I mean, I just like have total butterflies for the potential that you have to create the visual narrative of one of our world's top companies through Instagram. I mean, that is insane, Connor. That is a huge deal. Yeah, I became aware of this power early in 2020 because I had this like thought where I was like, I only knew of ABT and experienced ABT through what I could find on the internet. Yeah. And I was just having this awakening that like all young impressionable dance students around the world, like they know about ballet through social media and they know about major ballet companies through social media. Mm-hmm. And I had really unawaringly so positioned myself in a place where I had built this like major thing for ABT organically. Like we were not doing paid content. We were not doing any, like it was just a total organic happening that we generated this like now nearly 700,000 following like audience. And it became, and like, that's the other thing is like, what's so hard for other ballet companies that were sort of later to the game with social media is it's like, there's so many rules at play. There's unions, there's everything. It's like, it is like, you can't get anything done. But because I was in the room with like friends with the people that I was posting, they were excited about it. So we created this sort of dynamic that was like, here's something that I love that makes me feel empowered. And like, I love the way that I look in this, please post it as opposed to what we're all used to, which is like somebody somewhere deciding what they wanna post. And then you see it and you're like, I look horrible. And that's what's representing me. Like, are you kidding me? And then you just have to deal with that on top of like already the hard work that you're doing in the studio. So it was cool because it's sort of now become my tool to democratize ballet in the way that it's like, you're talking about Shelby with like amplifying like the talents of maybe the lesser known and lesser seen dancers by sharing stories that like maybe the company is thinking about, but isn't there yet. But I can just go to the source and be like, let's talk about this. And like pride, let's like, I don't just wanna have a flag at the end of the bows on the pride day. Like I wanna share the stories of the dancers and I want them to feel empowered and I want them to be able to own their individuality and like celebrate it. And also inspire so many of these kids that are probably feeling isolated and alone. And like, I can't be a lesbian and a ballet dancer because that doesn't exist. It's like, Mm -hmm. actually it does exist. And maybe you've never seen it because no one's showcasing it, but it exists. And I think the hard thing is like finding the way of, and and now it's very different now. Like social media is like, I mean, we've all seen it evolve from like, it's just gone. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's scary. Like it's, it's a scary place to, to be right now. And it's, it's scary to say the wrong thing. And I always try and come at it whenever I speak about any of this stuff, because I'm very active on like our DEI working group. And I like really committed to that. And it's something that's brought me a lot of like joy and understanding and education. And I always just want to say like, I don't know everything. And I think that that's hard because I think our leadership thinks like all these millennial Gen Z people know everything and they're scared of us. And it's like, I don't know everything. Like I'm figuring it out too. Like I just figured this stuff out like last week, last month, we're all rapidly learning. So like, let's do it together as opposed to like widening the gap of like, who knows what, like call in, don't call out is like something that I always like try and hold on to because it's like, let's, let's learn from this. Let's not like alienate you and make you feel even more homophobic, transphobic, like whatever it is. It's like, let's talk about it. So switching to pride. Um, I, don't, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, it's weird because I've talked about this actually with James Whiteside quite a bit is people always there's this weird contrast in the ballet world where it's like boys dance, as we all know, like that is something that like is very important. Boys can dance, they do dance, and it doesn't mean anything other than they love to dance. And that's just something that they love. It doesn't mean anything about their sexuality. It doesn't mean anything about their gender identity. It doesn't mean, it, it's just, they love to dance. And I think what's hard is in a lot of that, we sort of went to the extreme of like toxic masculinity that like real men lift women and ballet dancers are straight. And then it becomes this thing where like ballet culture is actually so heteronormative. All of the stories are very like heteronormative. It's all heterosexual leads. There's really no space or room for gay people. And oftentimes directors are telling their male dancers to be more macho, go lift weights, don't dance like a girl. Like there's so many of these things that actually are homophobic. And, and, and it's saying to like, what it means to be a man. It's, it's all very like contrived and weird. And, and so then the people that are gay in the dance world feel a bit diminished, minimized, silenced. And like they're, they're spending, <laughs> it's weird because they're like, oh, I do the gayest thing of all, I dance ballet. But in actuality, it's like, it's not, it's very conservative. And yeah. in many ways, like I think musical theater and theater and all of that is much more evolved in that because they are more willing to sort of adapt. And I think that also comes from a point of it's like, a production by production basis. Like each thing is its own like independent agent, whereas like in a ballet company where so many dancers putting on a season. And I think we also preserve the classics in a way that like, we're not doing revivals like Broadway is. We're not constantly reviving the classics. I wish we would. I know it happens some places, but even then I think it's hard to be like, why don't we make like a Romeo and Romeo or a Juliet and Juliet? Or why don't we let like, it, it's hard. And I think that comes from the technical barrier of like, yeah. Women are strictly on point in a classical ballet company and men are strictly on flat and there's men's steps and there's women's steps. But I think as you both know, as technique and has and time has, has evolved, it's like women and men are doing everything. Like there's plenty of men on point. There's plenty of women doing double soda bosques and crazy entrechassises and double tours. And like, I mean, Ostipova has like got it all on her tool belt. So like, there's just dancers that are doing that and it's, yeah. it's expected. And Alexei Ratmansky's done a lot of new works where the women are doing double soda bosques. And so anyways, that was something that I was really charged with at ABT. And and I sort of came out as non-binary like three-ish years ago. And I like all of a sudden was like, wow, like there's so much like binary in ballet. And it came about really, I like come out as non-binary. And then like a couple months later a New York Times uh, 
reporter was asking about, she wanted to write sort of a counter article to this article that said like ballet is the ultimate like gendered art form. Hmm. And I was saying that actually, I think the technique is like the least gendered. I think it's like, it is just tough no matter who you are, no matter what you're working with. And it's the same for anyone, like whether a woman or like whether a female bodied or male bodied person is executing a double tour or a cease or a foie or a pirouette, it's the same mechanics. It's like yeah. plie, releve, extend, whatever it is, like the musculature is the same. It's not like the technique is divided. Like, well, a female body will do this and a male body would do that. It's just the steps that we assign. Like we, as the choreographers, whoever have assigned the steps to like men and women, but like technically the technical execution would be the same no matter who's doing the step. So I worked with this reporter a lot. We spoke for like hours and hours and I was just like, wow. I, I was like coming to all these realizations myself that I was like, it's not binary. It's totally universal. And like, we should just, um, yeah, we should like nip that in the butt. But what's hard is like the narratives of all these ballets are very binary. They're very heteronormative. They're very black and white, but that doesn't mean they always have to be. And that's something that I think would be interesting moving forward. It's something I love about like Matthew Bourne. He's so not scared to just challenge it and just say like, we're just telling a story here. Like, and yeah. for like the sake of Swan Lake, it's a swan. So like, it shouldn't matter if it's a man or a woman because it's not even a person. So like, we should just like, let that be what that needs to be. And that was something that was really inspiring to me um, and it was also something that sort of helped me unpack a lot of my own like trauma with being queer, which was, I had a lot of insecurity about the fact that like being gay also had to mean that I was like a femme gay or I was a twink or I was, it all became about my sexuality. And like, I as a person was like, I don't even feel that sexual, but now everything about me is about my sexuality. And when I sort of learned about like gender expression and gender identity, I could like relax into it and I could be like, oh, I can wear pink and I can paint my nails and I can do whatever I want because it's actually just an expression of me as a person and not my sexuality. And I felt like everything that I was choosing to do with my gender was okay because it was about me and not about what I was trying to attract. Because that was something that was hard for me as I was like, oh my God, I'm wearing this and dressing like that. And now I'm only gonna attract this type of person. And I was like, now it's, I'm putting the power in what other people see, perceive me as, as opposed to just like, this is me. Like, I like this, I wanna wear that. I wanna talk like this. I wanna say that I have interest in this. And that's okay because that's Connor's expression, not Connor's gayness talking. Yeah. Wow. And I am that, so yeah. expanded by this. <laughs> this, is, wow. this is actually, wow. This is so, no, this is really expansive for me because I have found through these conversations, I, it's so interesting. I'm so excited because when we started Artists Becoming, it was about this like, I actually feel emotional right now because when we started Artists Becoming, it was about you know, we know that dancers and performing artists are struggling with their mental health and with these issues that have been in place from a system. And then as we've started to connect, how far this ripples into people's individual human experience as just a human being tr trying to live to be their most full authentic self, how that's unraveled through these conversations into ways I never even, yeah, we never even thought and and how much I have to learn and to like open my heart to understand and to be inspired by and through these conversations what it sparks me to to ask myself is like who am I 
who am I and who do I want to be and, and how much of who I am being is for other people, you know? Well, we don't even realize because we live in a society with so many constructs of what you're allowed to be based right. upon so many things, where you're born, if your parents are educated, what job they have, what town you grew up in, what school you go to, what race you are, it's all predecided. I mean, women are told what jobs they can have and men are told that they have to be the breadwinner and women are the homemaker. And like, we, we come from this like sort of, it's actually not even that old, but we think it's like as old as time, but it's really, when you look in the history, it's sort of a new thing that sort of came out in like the early 1900s to have this sort of like nuclear family and yes. eugenics, which is a whole other conversation, but it's like, it's really pigeonholed so many people, women, men, non-binary people, trans people. It's like, just be, I want you to speak Shelby, but um, yeah, it's like, we don't even, we're not even fully aware of the constructs in which we're like. Yeah. It yeah. brings this conversation so beautifully full circle because it's a matter of communicating who you are, who you want to be. And maybe, maybe it's not a comfortable conversation because maybe the other side of it is not open or educated or has language accessible to them to express, you know, what they can give you or how they can understand you or perceive you. And, you know, I think about the history, the history of story ballets and they're not that different from like Disney movies and the classical prince princess save kiss the girl save the thing and it's like what gives me so much hope is that we're living in a time now where these conversations are not only um becoming more normalized but they're being actively sought out like you sat with three hours with a New York Times reporter to talk about gendered technique in ballet like that is extraordinary that is extraordinary and I think that we're also at a time when dancers are becoming educated formally in, in a way and like en masse in a way that hasn't been the normal. And so what's exciting to me is we were just talking with um, Sabrina Imamura, who's a Asian American musical theater actress. And she was just educating Jessica and I on how the majority of stories that use Asian talent are told through a white lens, like white producer, white writer, white director. And what it really excites me is that the evolution of storytelling across modalities, ballet, animation, you name it, there is a turnover that's happening of storyteller diversity. And you're one of them, like ABT official, you're, you're trailblazer and we are here for it. And we're just so, so moved by you, Connor. Wow, thank you so much. I mean, something that I like try and remind and I say it at ABT all the time and to our leadership too is like, I know for a lot of people, it's very overwhelming of like the diversity and inclusion and everything that's happening. And they're like, okay, like how can we like check off all these boxes and how can we make sure that we're like doing all the right things? Yeah. But to me, it's like, it's such the wrong mental approach because like what it is is, wow, we now have the knowledge to know that there are more stories out there. There are more experiences out there that we can showcase. And this is going to enrich our, our, our art form. Like, by inviting in like AAPI directors or choreographers to tell their experience, to bring in black choreographers, to bring in gender queer people to share their experiences. It's not checking boxes. So you can say you did your due diligence of DEI. What it's doing is it's enriching your artistic output. And like, you're actually telling more authentic, more beautiful and more like inclusive stories that more people are gonna relate to, feel seen, feel heard and empowered, inspired, all of the things 
but it's like, it's, it's making us better. It's not like, oh yeah, we did right. You know what I mean? People yeah. are so scared that they're going to lose their spot or they're not going it, to, it's, it's not about that. You're bringing people into better yourselves, better your art form. Like for so long, ballet has been one thing with one type of leader, one type of story being told. And now it's going to be so exciting. Cause like, I don't know about you all, but like what I love about ballet is, I mean, the dance feels great, but the technique, I mean, it doesn't feel great, but you know what I mean? It's like, it's, I love the dance. I love the physical expression and ballet was my technique of choice, but like, that's what we love. And to me, it's like, if you're, if you introduce a new story with a new, like, yeah, it's just, sorry, I lost my thought for a second. But if you, if you bring in like all of these new perspectives, it's actually just going to like make more, like more ways of dancing, more ways of storytelling. And and to me, that's the exciting part, not the, not that we checked a box. Like yeah. it's, it's a whole, yeah. it's a mindset shift. Um, yeah. And broaden the audience that can resonate and, and relate, you know, talk about expanding your reach. It seems so obvious, you know? And that's ABT's mission is to deliver the highest like quality art to the widest possible audience. And for me, social media was my way of achieving that. But like, I think also bringing in different people with different points of view will also touch new hearts and souls and dancers and yeah. Well, certainly with vulnerable hearts and courageous talents like you, ABT is going to do just fine. Um, I can't wait to see I'm like I can't wait to see what's to come you know because yeah. we're just it's about to it's about to go down yeah. I'm like I'm gonna go down to go up <laughs> Connor, where can everyone follow your work we didn't even talk about ballerina book club but give yourself a few oh, plugs here totally. yeah okay where to follow me I mean my Instagram is conhall which is c-o-n-h-o-l-l um I do produce a book club with Isabella Boylston and All Arts TV which is super fun um that was something that we really enjoyed especially through the pandemic but it will continue on um and yeah I feel like those are the two places where you can really find me I, I write for Ballerina Book Club every once in a while and um and I keep most of my things up to date on my personal social but I will say when you run like a other major social media account and I do our TikTok as well which we didn't even talk about that is um that it makes it hard to be inspired to do your own personal feed <laughs> uh, but yeah check me out at con hall amazing and Connor thank you part two I'm like we're gonna need a part two I know we're gonna circle back on you <laughs> please because I could talk about TikTok for a long time because that's like another major place of like cultivating younger audiences and also like I think it's it's hard for people to see ballet in other contexts, but yeah. I think it's something that's important in making it accessible and relatable and like keeping it alive. Oh man, well, we're gonna leave everyone wanting for more, <laughs> Jess and I included. <laughs> Thank you for sharing the journey of your becoming. You are a true, true artist and we're so grateful to have you in here. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Want to connect further with our community at Artist Becoming? Rate and review this podcast and subscribe to stay on top of our weekly guest artist conversations and our small chats, big topics. Check out www.artistbecoming.com to learn more about our monthly subscription membership filled with on-demand guided meditation and yummy yoga practices to support your unique journey as a performing artist. Follow along on Instagram at Artist Becoming for sneak peeks and inspiring content and DM us the dream artists, athletes, performers, psychologists that you'd love to hear from or topics you'd like for us to unpack. 
sharing is caring. So fire up that group chat, share to your stories, comment, share, 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 and just stay connected with us. We are here for your becoming.